on this final of our 12-part summer series on Psalms. And friends, can you imagine that I have actually already been here with you for almost two years now? You can imagine that. It hasn't felt like that for me. Mercy, I'm going to work on this. And I realized while I was prepping for this series that there is something that I actually have never told you. And I think it's time that I confess. I didn't mean to keep it a secret from you. It just, it's just something that's never come up. And the last time that it happened, I wasn't with you. I was alone in my apartment while I was still living in Glendale. And I didn't know most of you, so I didn't think I needed to tell you. But that season is coming up again, and you're going to find out. And I wanted you to find out from me before someone else told you. So I'm, I'm going to tell you. Friends... I have an addiction. I have an addiction to the Olympics. <laughs> and sharing is good for the soul, so I need to know, tell me that you do not get excited when you hear this sound, listen with me. I know, silence is a good sound too. I hear some of you humming it even. I'll even hum it. Right? Don't you get excited when you hear those horns? Friends, it is a majestic sound. It gets inside of me, and I get so, so excited. Friends, when I say that I am a fan, I mean that I am a fan. When I was little, I imagined that I could be an Olympian. I ate my Wheaties. If you are old enough, you know what that means. I practiced my long jumps into the sand pit at the elementary school. I even that one unfortunate time cracked my tailbone on the rock buried beneath the sand. And for those two unfortunate months, it sat on a donut. But that did not deter me from the love of the Olympics because I am a true fan. My friend Amor and I have, a bond, have bonded over the Olympics. We are fans who watch in real time. We do not watch American prime time. No, 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 no. We are awake at 3 o'clock in the morning watching the athletes, listening to the stories, te texting each other. Did you just see that? Are you watching this? We are watching on NBC and BBC and Telemundo. We are looking on the NBC app and on Instagram while, while Googling the athletes. 
It's not even an Olympic year, and we've already started strategizing on which events we want to get tickets for in 2028 when the Olympics are back in L.A. We've signed up for the alerts. We've downloaded the apps. It begins in 1,777 days, y'all. Friday, July 14 to Sunday, July 30, 2028, I will be unavailable, y'all. <laughs> we don't even care about the medal count. It's not about who is winning. For us, the Olympics are about the achievements and the achieving. It's about the overcomers and the overcoming. Even this last week, I texted Amor and I asked which overcomer story I should share. We're so excited for the players and the winners from their countries who win a medal for the very first time. And we're devastated for the players from countries that may torture them when they return after a loss. It's the stories. It's about the stories for us. Let me give you an example of one of my favorites. This was a very difficult one to do because the stories are numerous. There are individuals who come back to the sports after their spouses or partners have died during the game. There are athletes who've given back their medals after they've won on a technicality. There are even individuals who have given up their medal run to stop and save a competitor during the games. There are so many stories Yet, I've come to a sweet one that we both agreed on this last week that I want to share with you. Have any of you heard of the Olympian Wilma Rudolph? Anyone? Oh, oh, I see some hands in here. <gasps> Y'all, I see, I see my people here. Well, if you've not heard of her, let me, let me tell you a little bit about Wilma Rudolph. Wilma was born in Clarksville, Tennessee in 1940. Born in Tennessee myself. Early on, Wilma had pneumonia, scarlet fever, and childhood polio. She was born into the segregated South where medical care was limited. And Wilma was a very sickly child. And because of this, and because of the childhood polio, she had very low energy and she was unable to get to school, get the care that she needed, and it fell very much upon her family to take care of her. She needed daily massages, she needed homeschooling, but this did not stop the Rudolph family. She got to homeschooling, her family got to the massages, and by the time Wilma got to her senior year in high school, she was trying out for basketball. Friends, we have to stop there for a moment just to be in awe of God, to notice that by in the six short years, from braces to basketball, just what God had done in her life, this was a miracle in itself. But just a few years later, Wilma went on to become the first person ever to win three Olympic gold medals in a single Olympic Games in the sport of running. 
track and field, and went on to spend the rest of her short life encouraging others to overcome the odds. Wilma was inducted, and that's her right there, 117. Wilma was inducted into the Black Sports Hall of Fame, the U.S. National Track and Field Hall of Fame, the U.S. Olympic Hall of Fame, lots and lots and lots of other halls of fame. She traveled to West Africa as a goodwill ambassador for the U.S. State Department. She was a U.S. representative to the field games in Senegal, Guinea, Ghana, and many other African countries. And in her tender 50s was, was diagnosed with both brain and throat cancers, succumbing to the first. But for her entire life, her story was about overcoming and supporting others and helping them be overcomers as well. That was her story. And I wonder if she wrote a psalm, if she wrote a song about her life, I wonder what it would be. Would it have been a jazz rendition about growing up in the segregated South? Would it have been a, a joyful, triumphant Motown record on her overcoming the odds? I wonder. Why do I share this with you? I've spent quite a bit of time now talking about the stories in our lives but I want to spend some time with this because it's very important that you understand that our stories matter. In fact, I want you to repeat that with me. Our stories matter. Because we matter. Because God is with us. Thank you. Allie, was that you? Thank you, sweetheart. This is something that we reiterated with our kids night after night after night here at VBS right at the beginning of the summer. That when things change or if you need help, if you feel afraid or if you are alone, or even if you are thankful that God is with us. And these are the themes that we've seen week after week here in our psalm series these are the themes, friends, that David has been singing in this book. And to be honest, if I can be honest with you, I never really took into account this book. I'm a fan of songs, but I just, the book of Psalms never really hit home with me. But as we've spent this time together this summer, I've really started listening to the music I've really started listening to the words that have been shared. And I've started to in per, in personalize the words that have happened that this lyricist has shared. And I've hoped that they've made a difference in your life. And just as a recap, because I know that we've all been places this summer, and as, as this is our last week together, I just briefly wanted to touch on just a few of the weeks that have been really poignant to me. Pastor Gotcha started us off with Psalms 27, and he told us that the real anecdote to the fear that we experience, the anecdote to fear, is God's presence. Pastor Tara shared that both praise and lament belong in our Christian community. Pastor Steve from Psalm 69 reminded us that wherever we find ourselves on life's continuum, amazingly enough, 
we can end the day with praise. Pastor Starla reminded us of our favorite Psalms 23, that that is a psalm, the peace that we can actually hold in our hearts. Pastor Gabe led us through Psalms 121 and reminded us that through all of life's journey, God faithfully watches and defends those that he loves, which is us. Pastor Mike in Psalms 22 reminded us that Jesus won by losing. Last week, Pastor Todd, with his incredible visuals, the cup and the sauce and the plate, reminded us from Psalms 46 that Jesus calls us to be still. That's a hard one, friends. And one that's so necessary right now. So ending on Psalm 71, this one's going to be a tough one, friends. Yet admittedly, it's not the Psalms that we were supposed to end on. This wailing of David to God, this asking God to slay his enemies. This was not the one we were supposed to end on. But Pastor Mike graciously switched with me when I had COVID. Yet, I believe we study a living word. And there is truth to be had today. And there are things that God wants us to have. A truth that we're supposed to experience today. So I pray that the Holy Spirit has something that you need to hear today. So I've got a little bit that I want to unpack with you. So looking at the Psalms, I was studying this book a little more deeply, and one of the resources that I found was from Pastor Chuck Swindoll. And one of the things that he pointed out was that the book of Psalms, these, all of these Psalms, because there's a billion of them, right? They're actually broken down into about five major books. The humanity books, the deliverance books, the sanctuary books, the reign of God books, and the word of God books. And Psalm 71 falls into the deliverance books, which makes sense because David is asking for deliverance from his enemies in this book. And also, Pastor Swindoll says that they are written in five different styles, the personal, the devotional, the liturgical, the general, and the prophetic. Psalm 71 falls into the devotional. For those of you who may be Swifties, any Swifties in here? Swifties? Swifties? No Swifties. Swifties, I heard Ernie go Swifties. Swifties are fans of Taylor Swift. If any, <laughs> I heard a, oh, education, you're welcome. For any Swifties fans, fans of the music legend Taylor Swift, they're notorious for speculating on every single album that the artist put, puts out to identify the time and the place and the person in her life that the song may be based on. The same goes for most pieces of literature. As we read literature, we find out more about what the people of the time and place are going through. We understand a little bit more about the politics that, the, that they are facing. We understand more about the personality of the writer themselves. This goes for the psalmist here in Psalm 71. So let's set the scene for this psalms. Our assumptions about Psalm 71 is that 
it is written by David in his later years. That David is requesting deliverance from God from his current situation. Even though we know he's going through something, we can see that the style of this song is still in the stance of devotion to God. He is, after all, calling out to God in the midst of the crisis that he is facing. During the time, and, and we're assuming, and, and, and biblical scholars are assuming that this is during the time of Absalom's rebellion, during the time when his son is trying to overthrow him and his reign. And so we're assuming that this is around 985 BCE, before Common Era. So Psalm 71 begins with, begins with David crying out to God during this battle. Listen with me to the words of the Lord. Faith's cry for help. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, rescue me and deliver me. Turn your ear to me and save me, says David. Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Give, me the, co give the command to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of those who are evil and cruel. Did I tell you that watching the Olympics was like watching a telenovela? <laughs> so is following the life of David. It's all about the story, everyone. David has ruled for about 40 years, and if you listen to just those four verses, you can tell that he's going through something. 40 years, and in four years in Judah, um, four decades, seven in Judah and the rest in Israel, he's had his military conquest, he's had his spiritual highs, He's been chosen by the people and anointed three times. We've seen the incredible ways that God has, has led in his life. David is the chosen one. Yet, oftentimes when we read the stories of great persons in the Bible, we have the tendency to sweep the indiscretions to the side. The less, than decent mo the less than decent moments. And for David, well, you know the indiscretion that the David family has been through. You know the most egregious one that we are all thinking about. You know the one, right? You know the one. Ernie's nodding his head. You know the one. We're all thinking about it, right? Obviously. The one that happened in his family is the rape of his daughter, Tamar. That's the one you were thinking of, right? No? Oh. Um, you were thinking of some other family drama? Were you thinking about his son, uh, Amnon, who attacked his sister? Was that the drama you were thinking of? That's not the family drama you were thinking of? Okay, okay, let's get on the same wavelength. You were thinking about his son Absalom killing his son Amnon? No, that's not the family drama that you're thinking of? 
Was it his youngest son trying to overthrow him? No? Okay, friends, we're going to get there. David, David's family, think, 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 think. Was it, it must have been when Solomon, his son Solomon, killed his brother, right? That's the family indiscretion that we talk about, right? No? Friends, okay, we're going to do it. I actually want us to say it on the count of three. The David indiscretion that we think of is, ready? Say it with me. One, two, three. David raping Macca. Excuse me? David raping Bathsheba. That's what I heard many of you saying. Friends, we don't have time to go into that story, so let's stick with Psalm 71, okay? Um, but actually, that's a really important part of Psalm 71 because it's actually Bathsheba's grandfather, who was David's counselor in court, who actually became Absalom's counselor and told Absalom to do some of the terrible terribles when Absalom decided to overthrow David and he switched sides. But we, oh, the terrible terribles and the webs that we weave, but let's not get into that one. Let's actually spend some time talking about Absalom's mom. Understanding the backstory is important for Psalms because it helps us to build to the crescendo of the hopelessness that David feels when he cries out to God. So who was this person, Absalom's mom? The person that we don't actually talk about. We focus on Bathsheba. She was the daughter to King Talmi of Gesher, a princess, a conquest. You all know about this one, right? As a part of his spoils of war, David was allowed to enjoy his winnings, take her home, shave her head, put her in burlap sacks, and leave her for 30 days to change her mind about him. She then got to choose him and convert to Judaism. And if she didn't, well, then she got to go home or not. You know, Absalom's mom. The small indiscretion moments of David's life that we all know about. Imagine being Absalom, growing up with that history, and knowing that your dad, the beloved king, had done that to your mom, the anointed one of God, the leader of Israel, the chosen one. Absalom, who is smart and gorgeous and charismatic, such a people person, royals and commoners alike loved him. He had a tender heart, so tender that when his sister Tamar was hurt, he took care of it. And when his father started to become weak, he looked to his mom and decided it was time for him to take care of her too. So imagine you are David in Psalm 71 crying out to the Lord at a time when your son has turned against you. At a time when your court has turned against you. At a time when your nation and people have turned against you. 
These are the words from the heart of David to God. In the first four verses, David's faith cries for help. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. The next three verses is a testimony of his experience. For you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence from my youth. In the next few verses, he pleads against his foes. For my enemies speak against me, those who want to kill and conspire together. May my accusers perish in shame. May those who want to harm me be covered with scorn and disgrace. David prays to God. And then he rejoices in hope. As for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more, David says. And then the tone changes as he returns to prayer again. Since my youth, David said, God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. And then it's like he pauses as he looks back over his life, as he realizes that God has been there, and he repeats the confident hope that he has in God. My lips will shout for joy. When I sing praises to you, he says in verse 23, I whom you have delivered. And this is where the grace of God is found in the Psalms. This is where David discovers God all over again. When by the end of the Psalms, David has turned from hiding in God to shouting for joy, singing him his praise, and realizing that he has been delivered. It was by repeating his story in prayerful song that David remembered God in it. It was by sharing his burdens that David was able to recount the times that God lifted him up. David begins the Psalms prayerfully crying out for help. Question, how many of us have faithfully turned to God in prayer asking for help, but have not necessarily believed that God would do anything about it? We go through the motions of devotion, but not the practice of faith. Have any of you had moments like that? David then utters his testimony of faith. You have been my hope from birth. I have relied on you, he says. As he goes on in his prayers, as he sings out his song, as he shares his testimony through music, David learns that God is always with him. David learns that his life, his story, is his testimony. That his life, in his youth, and in his latter days, they are. All matter. I wonder for us how many of us have had David moments of doubt when we feel like the world is against us, where there are literal battles we are fighting, whether they are in court, with our health, with our wallets with a loved one. I wonder how many of us pray for our accusers to perish in shame and for those who want to harm us to be covered with scorn and disgrace. David doesn't hold back. 
Yet as David progresses in prayer and as he spends time with God, you see him return to a place of harmony and unity. You see not only calm but joy flood his spirit as he utters, As for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you, I whom you have delivered. You see, David realizes that his life has not ended, that his story still has more to be written. And as he looks back on all that has been, he sees all that God has done and that his life has mattered because God was with him. All summer long, as we've studied these songs found in Psalms, I've wondered what they may have sounded like. Artist Aaron Schuess did a rendition of Psalm 71, and I'd love for you to take a moment to listen to just a portion of it with me as you imagine David's life, as you imagine your life in song. And I would love for you to reflect on that as we take a listen. I've trusted in you ever since I was young, my only Upon you before the day of my birth, my only hope. It was you who took me from my mother's womb. Even in my old age, even when my hair is gray, oh God, do not forsake. beautiful, isn't it? Um, Friends, I encourage you to take a moment to stop and let God abide in you and realize that your story 
is important because God is in you and he is still writing your story. And it is important to take the time and stop and reflect on your story so that you can see the moments that God was there. God is always there, but just like David, to reflect back and know that it was not on your power, but God's power that has seen you through in your life and that there is still more to do. David says, let me not go until I've spoken your words into the next generation and the next so friends, you'll see on your pews, there are a couple of these journals. There'll be more later. Um, but these Sabbath journals will be out for just the next sermon series that we have. And we encourage you over the next few weeks to come and sit down and to pick up one of the journals. And it says on here to write, sketch, color, or compose your own psalm, your own image, Whatever it might be on Sabbath, if you have a prayer request that you would like to write down, write it down. If you want to draw a picture of the praise team that has inspired you, if there is an image that has come to your mind this week of God that you want to draw, we encourage you to do that. And then leave it. What are you going to then do? Leave it, yes. So that way another person can pick it up and flip through it and see how God has inspired you or to pray for you if you've left a prayer request. And each week we'll have an opportunity for individuals to add to it, to pray to it, and for us to be a part of sharing each other's stories. So we encourage you to take a moment to stop and to share with one another through these Sabbath journals together. Friends, we are so thankful to be a part of one another's lives. And I just want to thank you for having a story. Oftentimes we feel like we do not have a testimony because we don't have a grand experience with God to be able to share. We don't have the huge family drama of David, but your life matters. Your life matters, and we want to get to know more of it because this is our story, church, and this is our Psalms. Thanks be to God. Amen. <laughs>